0: Father in heaven, this is your day, not just Sunday, all seven days. The sun rose today because you authored it, you began it, you started it, and you've sustained it. You've kept it going until now, and as long as you desire into the future. Lord, we're here today to worship you because you called to us, you, you worked in our lives, you worked the parameters, the borders. That we might look around for you and then realize, hey, you know, God's not that far away after all. And you've never been far from us. You've always loved us, always called on us. And I remember the 25 plus years of my life when I wasn't listening, and how difficult it was. And I'm so grateful, Lord, that as I began to listen, there you were. And you're here. And we're grateful. At the same time, we have to confess to you that we've been in the fight. We've been out there uh, working in the world, and I know we're not supposed to be of the world, but decisions have been made, mistakes have been made, and errors, and we confess our weakness to you, Lord, and we ask you for forgiveness, and we're so grateful that it is available through Jesus. When no one else could mediate for us, he did. He gave his life on the cross, a, a death that he did not deserve to pay for a sinner like me, and I thank you for that. I ask you to take over this time. We have an agenda, sort of. <laughs> have a sermon that, that was written that we believe was led by You, with lessons that were prepared. We pray, Lord, that what happens in these next moments would all be for Your honor and for Your glory, and that You'd work in us, Your people, to do as You please. You are God, and we are Your people, and we submit to You. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: All right, can you stand with us? If these songs
0: in the wedding are not new, you should recognize them. How no. not new? Like 50, 80 years not
1: new? Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me. Young people, if you'd like to join me at the front, line up right here for me. That's the motion. There we go. Amazing
0: in the room today. The sermon title is Naked Truth. Naked Truth. I forgot to send it to, to Alicia, so we're just, we were rocking yesterday, weren't we? Yeah. So we've been working through the book of Deuteronomy. Maybe you'll give me a little hooter, a holler, amen as we go to Deuteronomy 29, 29. Oh, amen. amen. This is God's word. So before we get into the what I call the corporate context or a reminder of where we're at in the book and so on, I want to give you kind of an illustration for a moment, if I may. Did I push the button? Is that better? Okay. My apologies. All right. So you may have been in a situation, if you're kind of a tall person, you probably encountered these situations a lot less in life, but you may have been in a situation where you couldn't reach what you were after. And a ladder is an extremely helpful thing. We have a a woman who, she's not here today, but she's a member of New Heights, very faithful. And um, she works at the light station, and she's kind of short. And we have a couple of ladies who work there who are kind of short. And we have food that we stack on shelves. They're about head high. And we have a little step ladder that's two steps because it's a lot easier for them to stand on that ladder and get the stuff like this than it is for them to stand on the floor and get the stuff like this. And one day I was working with her, and she said... Whoever puts this food away doesn't put it away with short people in mind. That's what it's like to be short. So those of you who are short, you know what it's like to be short. Those of you who are not, you're not. If you went to change a light bulb in this room, you would not do so just reaching up. You would not do so by standing on a chair. You would get a ladder. You would not get that little step ladder with two steps on it that lets you get the food off the shelf like this. Nor would you get the medium-sized step ladder which might let you barely touch that light, you would get the sort of tall step ladder, like like the 12-footer or or 10-footer or whatever that you could stand on that you could then pretty easily manipulate the light. When you go fishing, Perry, I know you don't walk up to the water and just drop a fish hook and line in the water and hope a fish comes right up there and gets it, right? Because the fish are a little harder to reach than that, right? And you throw that line out there. They call it cast. You cast that line out there to get the bait out where the fish are. Today we're going to talk about reaching, and some things that we cannot reach, and some things that we can reach. The can reach is the naked truth. It's um, a little obnoxious. When we get there, you'll find it a little bit challenging. It was for me. Um, The stuff that's out of reach actually is a little easier, and that's kind of funny when you think about it. It's backwards from the way it is normally in life. And that stuff that's out of reach then... People use it to make everything too easy and I'll explain how that happens. Okay in the corporate context here we've been studying the book of Deuteronomy we've worked our way all the way up through chapter 29 so those of you have not missed church in the last year and a half have studied the entire book and I'm not sure if there are very many of us that would make that qualification because of the you know there's illnesses and traveling and that kind of thing you can go back and watch them all live on Facebook uh, the, the more recent ones are better than the older ones as far as the quality on Facebook. What people make the mistake of with this verse that we're about to read is they forget or they get confused about who it is written to. Okay, As we were working, working through the book of Deuteronomy and went through chapter 29, we discovered that in chapter 29, the, this covenant speech that Moses is giving in 29 was directed at a lot more than the people who were present. That's what we discovered. So as he said, it would be for the nations who would join them. It would be for those who would come later and so on. Even he says uh, in 17, moreover, um, you've seen their abominations and their idols of wood, stone, silver and gold, which they had with them, lest there shall be among you a man or a woman, a family or a tribe whose heart turns away from today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations lest there should be among you a root bearing poisonous fruit, wormwood, and it shall be when he hears the words of this curse that he will boast, saying. And then down in 22, it says, Now the generation to come, your sons will rise up after you, and the foreigner who comes from a distant land, when they see the plagues of the land, the diseases with which the Lord has afflicted you. So throughout this chapter, we see that he was addressing more than just the folks who were there. He even said that there would be the folks who would come and see after they were long gone, after they walked away from the Lord, and they would have questions, and those questions would be answered. So when we read this verse, just the one verse today, we will use some supporting text, but just the one verse. I want you to remember that this verse then was addressed for them who were gathered there, their sons and their sons' sons, right? The strangers who were in their midst, men who had been captured in battle, the wood, bear, the wood bearers and woodcutters, and so on, and those who would come later and ask questions about what had happened amongst those people. So it's everybody, okay? It says in 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. So in case I forget to say it when we get there, remember the us that's there is not just talking about Israelites or Jews. It was talking about all the people that were in their midst, everybody that was gathered that day, so we're talking about people that came from other nations that were amongst them, conquered or just there, right? And their sons and their sons and sons and their sons and sons, and we may be some of those, all right? So the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever that we may observe all the words of this law. So clearly you can see that this verse is designed beautifully for an ordinary sermon. It's three parts. First, you've got the secret things belong to the Lord our God. So we can talk about that. Then you've got, but the things revealed belong to us and our sons forever. We can talk about that. And then you've got that we may observe all the words of the law. And if you take it apart real simply like that, that'll preach, right, RJ? That'll preach, right, Perry? You've heard a few sermons in your day. That'll preach. But there's something here that I want you to see that could go missed. So put your thinking cap on and go with me. We'll take it by those phrases to start with. And the first one is, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. So these are the out-of-reach things that I was talking to you about. In Romans 11.33, if you have your Bibles and want to flip there, Romans 11.33, we get a cool New Testament worded verse that sort of talks along the same lines. And it says, 11.33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. Unsearchable means you can't work to figure them out. Unfathomable means you can't understand them, right? His judgments and his ways. And so even with the New Testament, it became obvious. And of course, Paul, you know, was really knowledgeable of the Old Testament. So he had a a good understanding, maybe even better than, probably almost certainly better than any of us ever have. Understood that there are out of reach things. There are things that pertain to God that God understands that are out of your reach. I know that we want to say, uh, through Jesus Christ, we have access to the throne room. That's true. You can pray. You don't need a priest to confess to. You can go straight to Jesus and say, my Lord Jesus, I've confessed to you my weakness, forgive me. And the Bible says, uh, what, uh, 1 John 1.9, he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness, right? So it's true. We have access to God. I'm not talking about that, that we don't have access to God. But nonetheless, even though we have access to God, there are things that God keeps, if you will, for himself. They are out of our reach very clearly laid out for us in the book of Acts. If you're following along in your Bible and you want to flip there, Acts 1. We're in, that's in the New Testament right after the Gospels. Acts 1, and we'll read verse 7. I'll read verse 6 so you can see as we run up to it. And it says, And so they had come together, and they were saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the uttermost or remotest parts of the earth. So even though they would receive the power of God in them and become his witnesses to everything that God had revealed to them, follow the logic, Okay? Even though they received that power of God and become witnesses to everything that God had revealed to them, they were not to know, nor would they ever know, the times and the epics of the Lord as he had laid them out. Well, now this creates a problem. This creates a problem. Because we want to know when Jesus is going to come again. We were talking just, I was talking with a brother of mine. who's going through some, some pretty extreme difficulty and some of it's health related. And I've been going through some difficulty these last couple weeks. My wife's been going through some health difficulty for about a year and a half with spinal stenosis. And, and we we're thinking about how, you know, it's, about, it's a little bit like trudging on. It's a little bit like continuing despite the difficulties. And we talked a little bit about that inspirational moment. And wouldn't it be nice to know that Jesus is about to come? I was talking with a brother just uh, yesterday. We were driving together. And I said, you know, I know every generation has expected it's closer than ever. And we've all thought Jesus could come at any time. Paul, he, Paul clearly says, you know, he may come. And then when Paul gets toward the end, he says, well, he's probably not coming in time, right? And we all kind of want that. We all kind of like, we know there's a lot of bad in the world. And I get angry about that. I want to see things better. I want to make a difference. That's why, why I got involved with the Life Station in the first place because people are hungry. i want to give them food so they can live, so they can eventually hear about Jesus. And we want to tell them about Jesus if they'll hear and so on. But man, you know, hunger will end when Jesus comes again. Sin, as we understand it, will end when Jesus comes again. And so it would be nice to know. And also, wouldn't you be real diligent if Jesus is coming next Wednesday? You know, from now to Wednesday, I'd be like, man, I'm I'm there. I'm studying, but I'm not studying so much I can't be going to share with literally anybody who will listen. You know, living like Jesus would live if Jesus was living in me. If I knew he was coming Wednesday. So that creates a problem. And the same problem existed in Jesus' day. And Matthew 17, and if you're flipping along, go ahead. I told you we we're going to use our backup texts quite a bit today. Matthew 17, Jesus is walking the earth. He's in the midst of his public ministry. And watch this. 17 beginning in verse 9. And as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, I'm in. The, yeah, we're good. We're good. Okay. Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. So there he is projecting his own, rising from the dead and so on. He's telling them, don't don't tell anybody what you saw. His disciples asked him, saying, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah already came, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. See, in Jesus' day, they missed Jesus, some of them, or at least allegedly, that's they said they missed Jesus, this is a reason why, but they missed Jesus because they missed Elijah. And they missed Elijah because they had read their Bibles, and in their minds, they believed what? That they understood the times and the epics of God. That, that the secret things of God had been revealed to them. So they thought they knew that Elijah had to come first before Jesus could come. They wouldn't call him Jesus before the Messiah could come, right? And they said, well, we ain't seen no Elijah. And so since we haven't seen Elijah, you can be him. Now, that was an argument that they made from the fact that they believed they understood the times and the epics of God. Which is problematic because right here we have it in Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things of God belong to him. God's ultimate sovereignty and his omniscience are not lost just because he loves us and sent his son to die for us. And Isaiah 55, Isaiah uses these words. He says, his ways are above our ways. He got it. By the way, Isaiah is the same prophet who prophesied Isaiah 40 through 45 chapters 40 through 45 over and again that Elijah would come first before Jesus. Jesus. Same guy. And he says, but his ways are above our ways. The God that reveals whatever he reveals to you has not revealed so much of himself to you that the secret things of God have been made reachable. So then, if that's true, what are we responsible for? And what happens in the world, I'm going to be just kind of plain for a second if I may, what happens in the world is people say, nothing, nothing. We're responsible for nothing. His ways are so far above our ways. So I say, well, I haven't, you know, I, I remember a woman, it's almost 20 years ago now, but his conversation just came back to me like it was yesterday. I'm talking with her and I say, you know, this is what Jesus would have us to do. And she said to me, and I'm going to almost quote her words. She said, well, if Jesus were living in my situation, I'm sure that's what he would do. You're absolutely right. That's what Jesus would do. But she said, but I'm not Jesus. So I'm not going to do what Jesus would do if he was in my situation. I'm going to do what I want to do. And God's ways, and she didn't say this part, but she inferred it, that God's ways are so far above my ways. And this is what the world does. We say, and I'm going to submit to you what the Christians do and the world in the Christians do. We say, well, God's ways are so above our ways that we don't have to do what God has told us to do because we are saved by grace. And you are saved by grace. If you're saved, you're saved by grace. There is no other way. And in the being saved by grace, certain things are revealed to you. And I submit to you that that which is revealed to you, you are now responsible for. And that brings us to our second point. It is a point about the naked things. The naked things belong to us. Now, you're laughing maybe inside a little bit about my choice of words. You're like, Pastor Dan, you're kind of goofy. Why do you call it the naked things? Well, the reason is because that word there in the Hebrew where it says the things revealed, that word there actually means the things made naked. That's what it actually means. Now, naked, let's get realistic, is embarrassing. Right? You maybe sometime had a dream about going to school in your underwear or something. That would be embarrassing enough. You know, maybe you didn't, but some people talk about doing that. Right? I have, by the way, gone to school, in my underwear, in my dreams, and it was quite embarrassing. It's been a long time, thank God. But I don't go to school now, so if I had it now, I'd probably be preaching to y'all naked. That'd be bad. So, that'd be a really bad dream. Anyway, naked things belong to us and to our sons. Okay, that's what the word says. So now these things that God has laid out before us, they are required of us. I want to get ahead of myself, but the bottom line is that this context was not only the Israelites, but their, their wives were there, the aliens within their camps. That's verse 11 of chapter 29. The aliens within their camps were there. The one who chops your wood, the one who draws your water. All of that was there to enter into the covenant. And he said, not even am I only making the covenant with you. That's verse 12 but also with everyone who will come. And so the revealed things to us, that which we have been laid naked before us, we are responsible to them. But, uh, but this is tricky. If you go just to the right in, in Deuteronomy, if you're back in Deuteronomy with me, Deuteronomy 32, over in 47, talking about the same things that we're talking about right now. Page stuck together. Okay. This is what he said, talking about the covenant that has been laid out, the the revealed things, the naked sense. He says, for it is not an idle word for you. You know what it means to not be idle? It means to accomplish something. The word of God is not idle. Following the revealed truth of God, the naked truth, doing what you are supposed to do, will accomplish something. In fact, he says, and he goes on, he says, for it is not idle for you, indeed, it is your life. It is your life. On Tuesday night, we had a great lesson. I really was blessed by it. it really affected my life. I'm not just saying that because I got to teach it, but because I got to write it, and I was like, God was affecting me. And when I, at one point in that lesson, it's like, we've got to choose. Are we going to let God live through us, or are we going to keep being who we were before? He's got to choose. And, and that choice is made when you deal with everything. Everything you deal with. Everything. Pollutant you might consider putting in your body or in your eyes. Everything you might listen to. Everywhere you might go. Would God go there? Well, that's not good. God would not go there. Okay, so then I'm not going to go there. I choose God, not me. So these naked things, Moses talking about, says they are not idle, they accomplish things. Indeed, it is your life. And by this word, you shall prolong your days in the land which you are about to cross the Jordan to possess. And that was a literal promise for them, saying that if they would embrace God's word, if they would follow the revealed truth, the naked truth, that they would be allowed to stay there in what God was giving them for a longer period of time. But for those of you who are here, you'll recall we talked about the Holy Land, the Promised Land. I did it backwards, right? There's the Promised Land, the Grace Land, the Holy Land, and those things all apply to us as Christians. The church lives in the Promised Land, the Grace Land, the Holy Land today. So we have a, if we want to remain, right? And we went to Revelation when we talked about Jesus taking our lap away. If we want to remain as a church, remain as the people of God. If we want to still be able to stand up and protect the world. We talked about how the Levites walked by the tabernacle. And they were the holy ones. And they were protecting the rest of the Israelites from God's wrath. That's the role of the church. And if we want to live there, we've got to follow this word. This word is indeed life. It is This word is meant to prolong the days in the land that you are about to cross into. Have you become a believer? Indeed, this word is not idle for you. It is your life. And by this, you will prolong the days in the land to be possessed. Further, in chapter 30 of Deuteronomy, now we'll see these again. That's why I'm not hitting them too hard when we go through them uh, in in a couple weeks. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 14. Again, he's talking about... He's talking about these commandments. In fact, in this one, it starts off for this commandment. He says, for this commandment, which I command you today, is not too difficult for you. Wait a minute. The revealed things of God are not too difficult. I, I, frankly, I'm tired of my own excuses. I know what God has told me to do, and it's not too hard for me. Why do I think it is? Well, because his ways are so far above my ways. That's a cop out. It's an excuse. They're not. You can read your Bible. It's, like, it's so hard for me to read my Bible every day. Come on, you whiner. Get the book out. It's not that hard. I'm sure, you can have the, your phone read it to you for crying out loud. While you're driving and not supposed to be doing anything else on your phone anyway. For this commandment, which I command you today, is not too difficult for you. And re- let's remember now, In context, this is written to people who didn't have the Holy Spirit. So they didn't have the conviction. They didn't have the regeneration. They didn't have the gifts. They didn't have any of that. They didn't have God's constant presence with them. And it was not too difficult for them to follow the commands that were given to them. I know the word says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But here the word says that wasn't absolutely necessary. People did it because of their sinful nature. They did it because of what they wanted rather than what God wanted. For this commandment which I command you today is not too difficult for, for you. Wait for this, you'll love this wording. Nor is it out of reach. You don't need help. You do not need help to do what God has told you to do. Now you can get help. God can provide you with a lot of help. The church helps one another. God provides you with many blessings. God will strengthen you. He gives you gifts. He gives you his presence. There is much help in the Lord, but you don't need it because these things are not out of reach for you. It is not in heaven. Oh, I think about how many people have said, well, I will stop doing this when I get to heaven. (laughs) Stop now. You can stop when you get to heaven. Stop now. You say, well, it's hard. You know, I have my psychological issues. I have my addiction, whatever. Yes, and there are steps, and it may take you years. It took me two years and seven months. I always say two and a half years, but it's really two years and seven months to stop lying and cussing after I got saved and, and was convicted by the Lord. I'm not saying you have to stop cussing. That's, up to, that's between you and the Lord, right? But I think you should. But that's, that's, again, between you and the Lord. But for me, I was convicted of it. It took me two years and seven months to stop. And I was trying every day, begging God every day. And I wasn't called to preach at that time. Now as a preacher, I think a preacher ought never use his mouth that way. But hold on, because I think a witness ought never use our mouth that way either. And we're all witnesses. It's not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven for us to get it for us and make us hear it? That we may observe it. And that word there, observe, is powerful, and I'll come back to it in a second. But the bottom line is, it's not far off, far away, that we need a miracle for God to make us able. No, it's not up in heaven to say, who will go get it for us so we can hear it and observe it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross the sea for us to get it for us and make us hear it, that we may observe it. But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may observe it. And there is that word again, that you may observe it. The word in Hebrew that's to, to, to observe it means... So many things, like it's got about a thousand definitions, okay? And kind of comes over from the King James a little bit, whatever, that's why we use the word observe, but um, it really means to do the work. That's what it really means, to do and generically to do. Like if I said, I'm going to do it, it would be the same word. Or if I'm going to work at it, that would be the same word. Or if I'm going to live it out, that would be the same word. Right. And the and other translations have other words. Yes, sir. There you go. It's a perfect example to obey. Right. So all that we just read, this word is not idle for you. It has good consequences. Indeed, it is your life. By this word, you shall prolong the days in the land that God has given you to possess. It's not too difficult for you. It's not out of reach for you. It's not in heaven that someone should have to go get it for you. It's not beyond the sea that you should need someone to go get it for you, bring it back to you. It is supposed to be near you. It's near you and in your mouth. And I've even had people say, well, I, I know God wants me to do this. And as soon as you say, you know what God wants you to do, according to this word we're reading, you have the capability of doing it. But then what we tend to do is say, I know this is what God wants me to do, but I can't. And as soon as you say you can't, you have the same authority from God to say you can't as you can. That word is not idle. It will steal from you the progress that you would easily have. Okay, so now we have a problem again because we have that which is far away, the times and epics, the things of God that he's kept for himself, the secret things, which by we ought to respond to those things. We can't really do anything about them, but we ought to respond to them. I'll give you an illustration of that in a second. And then we've got the things that are laid naked before us. And I think we should sort them. I think we should realize which is which. I think we should be careful about saying, well, God says about things that God doesn't say anything about. I don't think we should be careful about saying God says about the things that God actually says. And mostly what we're doing instead is carrying out our opinions and thinking about what we should do and trying to be wise, trying to be good stewards is our term for how we spend our money, uh, like misers or whatever, right? And instead, God has given us a, a laid out pattern for how to live for him. And we ought to be living that out and then constantly talking about it, recognizing all the while that there are things that he has placed out of our reach. And there it is. It is the contrast between these two sets of bodies of knowledge that actually works for us. Let's go back to 29.29 29 for a second. When you first read that verse, when I first read that verse, this is what I saw. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Comma. But the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. But there is a comma after forever. There's three clauses in there, right? The secret things belong to the Lord our God is related to that we may observe all the words of the law. You understand? You don't, get the, you don't dismiss the secret things of God and still observe the law. People don't do that. People who don't believe do not enact works of faith. They don't. They'll do something. But what they'll do is not what's godly. They'll do whatever makes sense. They'll do whatever works. They'll do whatever, in some cases, they'll do what they think God would want them to do, but they really have no knowledge of what that is. The secret things belong to the Lord our God is related to the things revealed that belong to us and our sons forever. So all three of these things are related and it almost works out like a math equation. The secret things that belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our sons forever. So it's about ownership. He owns those things. We own these things. And because we know he owns those things and we own these things, because of that fact, we may observe all the words of the law. It's just out of reach. Kind of interesting that it's just out of reach. Okay, so what do we do? Take it to heart. That's what we're called for. Look at Deuteronomy 32, verses 44 to 46. Then Moses came and spoke all the words of this song and the hearing of the people he with Joshua, the son of Nun, when Moses had finished speaking all these words to all Israel, he said to them, take to your heart all the words which I am warning you today, which you shall command your sons to observe carefully, even all the words of this law, for it is not idle for you. And we read that part. You get it? The bottom line is we're supposed to take to heart that which is revealed, the naked truth, if you will. Not only that, but we're supposed to command our sons to, To observe these things carefully. To do the work carefully. Even all the words of this law. Now, someone will say, the law expired. When Jesus came and he died on the cross, he paid the price for sin. And so, since the law speaks of a price for sin, someone will say, the law expired. But that's simply not true. Simply not true. In fact, we'll see it very clearly In a moment, we are now in our conclusion. We've done well. I'm going to repeat back real quick what we've seen. First thing is, there are out of reach things, secret things of the Lord that belong only to him, times and epics. Be careful about thinking you know those things. They tie to God's sovereignty, his omniscience, things that only he knows. And people have made the mistake before of thinking they know the times and epics of God and thereby missed Jesus. Or at least use it as an excuse to miss Jesus. Then there are the naked things that belong to us and our sons. And those things are not idle. Indeed, they are our life. By this word, we prolong our days in the land that he has given us to possess. They are not too difficult for us, nor out of reach for us. They are not in heaven nor beyond the sea. They are near and in our mouth and in our heart. And we ought observe it and then take it to heart and teach it to our sons. And all that we have just said about it, I think, to our sons. So God's asks, then, are not based on your present choices, but on these facts. Let me break that down real quick. It doesn't matter if you came in here a sinner. Some people say, well, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Okay, that's, that's true, but that's a different status from just being a sinner right? A sinner saved by grace is a person who's accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They're going to heaven when they die. They're living for the Lord now. Jesus died that they may have life and have more abundantly as a free gift from God. But if you lied, stole, cheated, whatever, before you came in here, and you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you are just a sinner. And if you had accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but did any of those things before you came in here, then you are a sinner saved by grace who's been sinning. That's your status, that you're actively not doing that which you're supposed to be doing. Remember, these words are not idle. You're supposed to be doing what they say. So regardless of what your status is, God's asks are based on these truths, not on your status. So if you lied yesterday, saved or not, God's still calling for the same choices. God's still asking for the same things. He wants you to recognize that there are secret things that belong to him and you cannot have them. Every atheist in the world, by the way, is claiming the secret things of God. They say, I know for a fact there is no God, there cannot possibly be, which makes them out to be God, which means they are claiming the secret things of God. Because at best they should say, I can't imagine how there could be a God, maybe there's one out there somewhere, but I don't know him. But actually they don't. They say, no, there is no God. So every atheist in the world is claiming the secret things of God in arrogance. But many Christians are also claiming the secret things of God by saying, I know what I should be doing, but I know that the grace of Jesus covers me, and so I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to do what I want to do or need to do or whatever, and God is going to cover that. And that's not how it works either. That's claiming the secret things of God. Who are you to say that the God of heaven will forgive your sin that you willfully conduct while you say he is Lord? That just might not be the math of it. Because you can say he is Lord and write it that day and it says many who say Lord, Lord will not enter the kingdom of heaven, but rather the one who follows the commands of my father. And why? Because those commands are not idle. They will take you where you want to go. Yes, I understand salvation is by grace. I'm not denying that in any way, shape or form. But there's a few things I'd like you to hear. Go with me to John chapter five as we're in our conclusion. John five. If you're following along in your Bibles, I know it's a lot of Bible today. If nothing else, you're getting practiced at flipping pages or pushing the buttons on the screen. 5, beginning in 37. 537 says, And the Father who sent me, he has borne witness of me. This is Jesus speaking. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. Oh, this is getting tough here. (laughs) You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And they might rightly think that, right? Because it's not idle. They might think that. But see, they missed the most important thing. So we'll read that again. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is these that bear witness of me. And you are unwilling to come to me. That you may have life. I do not receive glory from men. But I know you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another shall come in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another? And you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God. Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? See, Jesus was challenging them and saying, yes, you're right, this word is not idle. Yes, it's important. They're searching, they're claiming to know the word and, and they fast and memorize whole books of the Bible and all that kind of holy stuff that they were doing. But in all of the Old Testament, there's one theme, one, from Genesis through Malachi, one theme, and it is that God will make a way that he will send one Savior, one perfect sacrifice to end all sacrifices. It's all about that. And so is the fact that, that the secret things belong to God. And the revealed, the naked truths, are ours. They belong to us and to our sons forever. And we're supposed to observe them, read, do the work, obey them. Jesus made that abundantly clear in his public ministry at his crucifixion and at his resurrection. 1 Timothy Chapter one. I'll get there in a second. <coughs> See, when I don't mark the pages, y'all get there before I do. That probably makes you feel better, right? Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Yeah, it's easy, it, yeah. You never have to remember the, memorize the books of the Bible. When you only have to click buttons. When you're up in the pulpit, the pages always stick together. So, all right. So it's First Timothy, chapter one, verses 19 and 20. One page back. Two pages back. There we go. Whew. I'll go back to 18, so you don't get the run on. You don't miss the first part of the run on sentence. This command I entrust you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies. Previously made concerning you, that by them, that was the prophecies concerning him and the command, right? You may fight the good fight. Now 19, keeping faith and a good conscience. A good conscience is a conscience that recognizes right from wrong and wants to do God's will. Which some have rejected, some have walked away from a good conscience. And they have suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. I submit to you, some have done that because they think the ways of God are too high, too difficult, too far from them, but they're wrong. 20. Among these are, and he names two people, Hymenaeus and Alexander, and watch this, he says, whom I have delivered over to Satan so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. Ouch! This guy goes to the ends of the earth to win Gentiles. And then here's two guys who have allowed their shipwrecked faith to come about because They followed a a bad conscience and now he's committing them to Satan that they may be taught not to blaspheme. Here's something you don't ever want to do. Here's something you don't ever want to do. Don't ever go and teach somebody that the commands of God cannot be done. Period. Bible says we're supposed to pray. Don't go tell them praying is difficult. You know, I know I'm supposed to pray, but I I really don't pray every day because, you know, it's just hard and I get distracted and blah, blah, blah. That ain't the witness that God called for himself. It's just not. I know the Bible calls for me to tithe and give and serve, and and that's a sacrifice, and I want to, and I do some, but sometimes it's too hard. Don't do that. Because if you were in Paul's church and you did that, He just might turn you over to Satan. We received the power in the Holy Spirit of God that we might go and become witnesses. What are you witnessing to? And God's asks are not based on your present choices, but on the fact that the secret things of God belong to God, and the revealed things of God belong to us and our sons forever. James 3 only got this last one left and then an illustration or two and we'll be through, James 3 beginning in 14 this won't probably come as any huge surprise to us, I don't think this wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly natural, demonic for where jealousy and selfish ambition exists There is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy, and the seed seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. We've got a job to do, folks. The God of heaven has called us to reconcile people to him. And you're not going to do that by saying that that which he has revealed to you is too hard for you. What are you inviting them to? Come on over here to Christianity where we know we can't do that which God has called us to do. Come join us and do that. Whatever you can, whenever you can, whatever works for you, because it'll be good enough. No. That's not the gospel. If that was the gospel, if that was the truth of Jesus Christ, Jesus could have said, would have said, should have said, I'm not going to the cross. <laughs> or crying out loud, you want me to go to the cross so that Christians for the rest of eternity can go, yeah, we do our best. No. We are called in Christ to do what's right. And these standards are for us even when we're doing what's wrong. Then we do our what's right. And somewhere along the road, the truth is, you probably will screw up. That's no excuse to screw up, but you probably will. And when you do, come then to God, you have a faithful and just mediator. Jesus is right there to take care of it when you make a mistake, when you screw up, when you, when you make a choice. You know, the word was in my mouth and in my heart, and I was trying to do what's right, but I got a little prideful. I, got a, I ran on ahead. I said some things I shouldn't have said. God, forgive me. Yes, okay, it's better, just like that. and cleanse cleansed of all unrighteousness as well. Boom, done, put it behind you. I took a two and a half day trip. This morning I woke up at 3 a.m., which I've been doing like for the last five or six days, and every morning I pray and, and talk to God until I go back to sleep. And it could be because I have an ear infection, it could be because God's working on me and I'm a screwed up Christian that's trying to do the best he can, whatever. I don't know what, why it's been like that, but it's been like that. And he woke me up last night, and I realized that I had at least three opportunities to witness and share the gospel during the two and a half day trip, and I didn't do it once. And I'm like, oh, ah, God, how do I become a person that is about witnessing for you? You know, we prayed, we prayed a lot. We talked about God. We talked about the word. We talked about it a lot. But we had strangers at Waiting on us at tables and stuff, and I I'm mean, how many times I say, like, you know, all you got to do is ask them if you can pray for them. and if the conversation starts, I say, hey, can I ask you a personal question? Do you have any beliefs, any spiritual beliefs, and see what they'll say, and then you can say, well, can I tell you what mine are? And you shared the gospel. Will you believe that? Yes, they're saved. I've done it myself a dozen times, but for two and a half days, mind you, with an ear infection, or whatever. But I'm not making any excuses because these things are not too far for me. That's what I'm called to, and I didn't share the gospel. And So this morning, between three and three fifty in the morning, I'm repenting and I'm saying to the Lord. And, that, and the Lord reminded me of First 1 John 1, 1.9 and he said, don't worry, I got this. And then he said, but that's about enough. Because now you're telling me you know what you're supposed to do. So now do it. Now is God ever going to stop forgiving you if, you've, if you truly accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? No. Is grace unlimited? Yes. But does the concept of grace revealed to us through the blood of Jesus Christ in any way, shape, or form lessen our disrespect for his word if we don't do what we're called to do? No. Your disrespect is complete. If you say, I cannot, it is complete. If you say, I will not, it is complete. It doesn't matter. Because this command of God, these words that God has written to us, that given over to us, they are not idle. They profit us. Indeed, they are our life. By this word, we will prolong our days in the land that he has given us to possess. They are not too difficult, not out of reach, not in heaven, not beyond the sea. They are near in mouth and heart so that we may observe them. Well, uh, I went down to Tennessee. Praise God, uh, Brother Josh pretty much drove me to Tennessee so I could see my parents. He drove two thirds of the way down, two thirds of the way back. I'm, I'm not a good long over-the-road driver. sure he can't do that right now because of her neck. And, and then plus I was... I'm a, I've been fighting the cold on top of that. And so I went down there to visit my parents and we went out to the, this park called Tim's Ford, and we walked and walked and walked got to the very end of the trail and we're sitting on the benches in the trail and out in the middle of the lake there were a few, a couple islands. And on the island there was like beaches. And it looked like almost like constructed beaches. And I thought that's kind of odd, you know, have constructed beaches on the island. And I was curious about those beaches. And uh, so then when I got back up to the Welcome Center at the end. I was buying some souvenirs to bring home for Ariana and um, Missing an opportunity to witness to the people that work there, Um, but I already covered that Um, and While I was doing that there was a woman who came in and she she was um, She had rented a campsite on the island (laughs) and she said this is what she said. I mean just this is the sovereignty of God she said I Know there's more than one island there's like two or three, right? And she's a lady working. I said, yes, there is. And she's naming them off or whatever. And she said, could we switch our campsite from the further island to the nearer island? Because we have a, we, my husband and I canoe in two canoes with a six-year-old and an eight-year-old. And we think the further island is a little too far out of reach. And the lady said, well, we'll look it up and we'll see if there's a camping space open on the closer island. And she did, and there was both of them. And then uh, I thought to myself, I said, well, do they rent canoes here? How is she even going to get to the island, close island, far island, whatever? And I looked out the front door, and there's her Jeep with her husband sitting in it, and her girls in the back playing on their phones or tablets or whatever, waiting to canoe somewhere. And up on top of the Jeep was canoes. And I'm like, oh, that's how they're going to get to the island. And then I was thinking this morning, as I was praying, I was thinking about how I would love to camp on an island. Isn't that cool? It's a cool idea. not so sure about canoeing. I mean, I can do it. I canoed further than that for sure. But... There's a lot of work to get to the island. I guess I would like to go to the closer island. It'd be easier for me if God's secret things were not so hard, you know? Jesus is with me all the time, and he's right there with me when I do what I shouldn't do. Why does he love me that much? Guess what? I don't get to know I don't get to know why God loves me so much that He'll tolerate my stuff, but He's with me. I can barely fathom or understand what it means to love somebody so much that you would send your son to die. RJ preached a sermon about a year and a half ago when he stood here and he said, "For me to send my eldest son to die for somebody, I don't think I could do it. It's my kid. I don't get to know. but it's true. But is it reversible? When I don't honor God and I do what I shouldn't do? When I make him too near, too easy, too willing to forgive, and I go and do what I shouldn't do, and I need his forgiveness, because I know it's sin? Does God look at me and go, yeah, I don't know why Dan does that? No. No, he doesn't. He knows why. And I submit to you, it's for one of two reasons. Either because I have taken the secret things of God and I want to pretend that I know them. So I draw God too close. I assume too much. Or because I have taken the revealed naked things of God, the things that he has told me, and I've tried to push them away and make them too far, too hard. And both of those things, wait for it, are not done. By followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now you know. And now I know. And therefore what has been said here today. Has been revealed to you. And revealed to me. And just like God said to me. Of course. Forgiven. Cleansed of all unrighteousness. But now. Come on. No more. And Jesus looked at her. And he he forgave her her sins. Where are those who accused you? She said, they're all gone, Lord. Neither do I accuse you. Your sins are forgiven. I'll go and sin no more. Right. We're going to have the praise team come forward and lead us in a closing hymn. This is the final hymn of our service. If you're here today, and either A, you're, you came in here and you're not a Christian, you did, had not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, that means he tells you what to do and you do it, or your Savior, that means he paid the price for your sins and you recognize that. But you did it while we're speaking or you're willing to do it now, then you're going to respond to this invitation. And today I'm going to ask God. Deacon Tony's going to come up here and he's going to stand in the front. You've probably heard of my voice that I've been fighting a cold and I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. <laughs> Deacon Tony's not sick, praise God. And so he'll receive you and pray with you if you're accepting Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. If you're here today and you say, No, look, I've made it too easy. I realize I really do need to do the things that I know I need to do. I gotta stop playing games. And, and you're repenting of that and saying, I want to live for the Lord. Uh, as I said, I worked in this day before, then you come and respond and deep tongue will make sure. here at the front to pray with you. If you're here today and you would say, I know that God wants me to get active in a ministry, or God wants me to be baptized the way just the way Jesus was. The name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Or God wants me to join this church. Or God wants me to get active in a certain ministry, doing a certain thing. I already know what that thing is, and I've been dragging my feet. Whatever it might be, you're responsible for the revealed things. So if it's been revealed to you then, I'm asking you to respond to what's been revealed to you. And being going to so I think going to come up here at this time. So he's going to receive it as we sing the song, if anyone's responding. If you're online and you're responding, then put something in the comments uh, and let us know that you're responding, and we'll reach out to you. Okay? As we sing, would you stand with me? And uh, I'll ask you to do a better job of singing than me because I feel <laughs> like I ain't got much melody uh, in my throat today. As we sing this song, if the Lord has worked in you in some way and you need to respond, then you come and respond. respond to each other. Loves you, he'll take you. This church will take you. You want to serve? You want to live for the Lord?